This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hi, welcome to the Back in the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hamlin. Today I once again act as your guide as we look back at a week that has seen Palace humiliated 3-1 by bitter rivals Brighton and play poorly against West Ham in a 3-2 defeat. Our preview podcast covered the Brighton game, so we'll be taking a look at the key moments from the West Ham defeat. But in this show we'll be spending most of our time putting the microscope over the team, manager and board to try and answer the questions both you and us, the panel, are asking right now. The panel tonight is DR Kernaz, Chris Clark, and Mike Scott. We'll be back in just a moment. Love our podcast. Listen to our live radio show on Love Sport every Thursday, 7 till 9 p.m., 5, 5, 8 a.m., DAB Digital Radio, and online, lovesportradio.com. Right, it's time to introduce my panel. Um, but before I do, just a couple of quick points of order. The Back of the Nest website, backofthenest.com, is up and running, full of articles, and there's an awful lot more to come. So go to backofthenest.com, see what we're up to, and welcome any feedback that you have. But it is time to talk to the panel, and I have to start with Mr. DR Curtis. Hello. Hello, DR. Um, so we're going to have a little chat about what everybody's drinking today. Now, you're, you're not someone who drinks alcohol, so uh, what have you got? Uh, I've got, well, I had water, but I've got nothing now <laughs> because I had to Do rush you? upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Did you leave your water? <laughs> I leave my, yeah, I left my water downstairs, so I'm going to be like really thirsty by the end of the show and I'm going to be sweating and talking about palace it's going to be so fun sweat sweat while talking about palace is that yes i do because it gets me furious when i (laughs) actually like imagine watching a game then talking about how shambolic certain plays are and how the performance were so yeah i'm going to be sweating i'm certain let's cut cut to the chase all right we were talking pre-show and you disrespected dr pepper which is what producer mikey is drinking not a big drinker i did not disrespect you did what is your? You said I've never tried it, but basically you hate it. That's effect, effectively what you said. Because no, no one who drinks Dr Pepper. I thought it was outside of like I, I didn't what even know they produced. Like I thought it was done you know, like, a couple of years ago. 
It's not a real doctor, you know that. There is yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do not... know it's not a real doctor. I know it's right. a drink, but who drinks Dr. Pepper? I'm pretty sure our listeners don't. I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, I drink No Dr. one does Dr. in Dr. South Pepper's... London. No one Dr. does. Dr. Pepper Zero. Yeah, everyone in South London drinks strawberry Miranda, don't they? No, KA or some I don't just proper drinks. Well, Dr. Pepper pump. is not relevant. It's 80% sugar, that KA. Anyway, um I've I I don't know what your problem is, but obviously listeners, if you do have a, an opinion on Dr. Pepper, do let us know. Um but they are honestly, mate, you've just got to try it. The best drink out there right now is water. And then after that is probably Fanta and then Coke. I'm not too sure. I don't really drink fizzy drinks. It's not good for me. We- We've been through this. First of all, it, it's Rio. That is the best drink out there. And second of all, Vimto. At least, at least yes. <laughs> at least people know that. Like, what is a Dr. Pepper? What is that? I don't... It's it's out of date. It's, it should have just been left in the past. Our generation. So, uh, like so Chris Clark, how are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it was pretty down, to be honest. But um, I have a very nice bottle of a Belgian beer called Blanche de Namur, um, which is 4.5%. And it's it's a wheat beer, and it's jolly tasty, and it's taking the edge off the depression that I've been feeling all week. Yeah, it creeps in at the maximum session strength, so I will allow it. Uh, that anything below four point five percent, everybody, uh, session beer. Just so you're aware, any fans of the Ellis and John podcast will know that that is keeping it session, and it is highly recommended. Um, so well done, Chris. Uh, thoughts on Dr Pepper? I'd use it as a mix, so I wouldn't really drink it on its own. Stunning, absolutely stunning behaviour. Mike, Mike Scott. You know what? Dr. Pepper and vodka, or, or diet Dr. Pepper and vodka, is a pretty good combo. I agree. Um, yeah, and and I've been to America once and they had Mr. Pib, which is like fake Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I mean, good. he's not, he, he's, you know, he hasn't qualified as a doctor, so he's just a mister. So it's quite yeah. uh, quite distressing, really. How are you feeling? You seem, uh, seem all right. You, you, what, what are you drinking? Oh, I polished off that um, bottle of Bailey's Almond that I bought myself that was meant to last till Christmas in 24 hours. Uh, so I'm just boring and I'm on the Holston, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, Holston, okay. So the all the sugar turns to alcohol, right? So you're allowed to drink it if you're diabetic like me. Exactly. And apparently in Weight Watchers, uh, it counts as no points, I've been told. so Really? You, you can get hammered on it and it's not going to affect your diet whatsoever. It's a bit like this Palace. Is... There's no oh. points. <laughs> I, like okay. what I like what you're doing yeah. there with your drinks. <laughs> well done, DR. Um, if anything, deserved a little drum roll. That was it. No? No, Mikey? No. All right. All right. I'm leaving. All right. See you later. All right. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
<laughs> anyway, that was as lighthearted as we could get uh, on a week like this week. Um, clearly, we've played two games. Obviously, the preview show um, reviewed the Brighton game. So if you want anything more in-depth than what we're going to do, obviously, do revisit that. I'll just sum up Brighton by saying it was horrific. Um, you know, a terrible display. And of all the days to, to to pull out a terrible display like that, it's, you know, it had to be then, didn't it? And really, really, to, to be out for... Um, all they really did differently. So there were loads of little things that I noticed that I just thought how frustrating to say how clever it was because the you know the grass just grown that little bit longer. So every time we were trying to pass it, the ball held up. Just little things like that. They noticed that we don't respond well to a high press, so they worked really really hard to press us all game. They'd rested players for it. You know they'd worked out how to sort of operate in the in the gaps between a system that we played on Saturday, which. We were obviously going to play again because it worked so well. Uh, they did their homework properly and, and treated it like the game it was, which is an extremely important game for both sets of fans. But more than that, it's an extremely important game to get three points in. So I feel the fan base was rightly feeling extremely let down. And, um, and that's all I'm going to say on the matter. I don't know if the gents want to say anything. Chris, You, uh, I think you've got something to say. Yeah, I, I most definitely have. Um, I don't leave games early. I left early. That's how fed up I was um, on Tuesday. Um, I had, I, I even missed, and I did my customary thing of missing a goal, of course, by um, going up to get a pint of Harvey's at half-time. Um, and the third goal went in while I had a pint of Harvey's going down my neck. So... At that stage, there was nearly a riot upstairs in that stand. It was, yeah, just wall to wall leftwards. Um, it was really, really terrible. And I, I then went downstairs, and just to, to add to the joy, um, was about two rows away from Terence while um, his sister was having a massive row with a homophobic idiot behind me. Um, so joined in that just before I left. Um, happy days. Yeah, I know Terence wrote an article on a redandbluearmy.co.uk which summed up the experience he had um, in terms of dealing with homophobia as well. Look, you know, we, we hate losing to Brighton, but I don't know why this has just got to stop. It's ridiculous now. Uh, you know, what what is wrong with people? Yeah, well, you know, one of them wouldn't... was just saying it was Bantz. Um, and, yeah, Terence and his sister were rightly saying, no, it's not. And I joined in and told them to shut up as well. Um, yeah. But there were still people laughing at it. So, you know, it's got to be challenged when it happens. You know, it's just not funny, is it? <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing amusing about it. No. Why? You know, I don't know. And people are like, oh, you know, they call us pikeys, blah blah blah. It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You wouldn't abuse someone like that in the street. You, you know, I don't. I just don't get people's mentality. All I'm saying, look, I understand. You know, a football ground is not. It's not a sterile place, right? You know, you, you people say and do things they probably wouldn't do in it. In, any other walk of life, right? I, I acknowledge that. But the bottom line, and I, and I think I've probably said this before in the past, but if your actions cause offence to other people, you should really think about why you're why you're doing that, right? Because you shouldn't want to cause offence. So a Palace fan shouldn't want to cause offence to, um, you know, the LGBT community, and, and they are, so therefore they should stop. Otherwise, the only conclusion I could draw is they do want to cause offence, and therefore they're not the sort of people I'd like to associate myself with. Anyway, I'll shut up. Mike, you've got a view on that. 
Yeah, just to say, if if it, I mean it, it happened last season as well. I remember hearing various comments about various parts of anatomy being put in other parts of anatomy. Um, if you hear anything, obviously Proud and Palace are a good place to start. Find them on Twitter um, or kick it out. Um, but yeah, the more the more that we uh, the more that we make sure we tell everyone about the more that people like the idiot at the Chelsea game are called out. I mean, hopefully he's fled the country after yesterday's, you know, people on Twitter going on about it yesterday. Um, you just got to name and shame them. So obviously it goes without saying you're clever people that listen to us. You probably know that already, but Proud and Palace are the people to go to. Yeah. And like you say, any kind of uh, unacceptable abuse or prejudice you experience at games, just report it. You know, there's not, it's not, it's not grassed. You know, grassing something different. You know, no one's a snide for for reporting that kind of behaviour. It's you know, we're in the twenty first century. You know, I can tell by how old I am now. We just need to move past it. Um, Dr, you've not spoken on this, and I know you do a wonderful impression of a cockney person telling people to go back to Islamophobe. What is it you say? Islamistan. Islamistan. That's <laughs> it. it always makes always makes me laugh a, a huge amount when you when you do that impression, but. Cockneys are from Kensington, aren't they, Dio? Oh, yeah, I went, past, I went past Kensington yesterday and Kennington. It just reminded me of like you guys and our conversation on a trip to Huddersfield. Yeah, but nah, it's 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 just out of place. There's not you guys really summed it up, but I don't know what else to say about that. I was not at the game, and it didn't. I didn't hear anything like that in a West Ham game. So and it's it was only at the Brighton game. And hopefully we leave it there and none of these comments. Because it's been, it's you know, even at Sellers Park, it's been a bad season. There's been a couple fights between fans at the home zone end due to political views. So it hasn't been a good season in terms of fans getting along with each other. But hopefully we leave that behind because we're playing horrendous on, on the pitch. So let's at least <laughs> stay in. DR brings us back on focus good man yeah <laughs> he really does yeah. can, can I just say that there's no there's no way you'd hear anything at the London Stadium like you you wouldn't hear any abuse you wouldn't hear any compliments so it's not surprising nothing came up yesterday that's it you can actually hear people shaking hands can't it you? was so it was so quiet and honestly when I I was about a mile away the place seemed so small it was just so ridiculous I now understand the frustrations with the atmosphere because you really are, like, really, even the bench, the bench is about half a mile away from the pitch. It's so ridiculous. But, yeah, we lost, so I can't really talk about their stadium. We went down, we lost, and we didn't do a good job. Well, look, we, you know, we're, we're getting straight into that now. We're not going to dwell on it much because this show, you know, obviously, as, as I've said in my introduction, is more about the general points that everyone's talking about now rather than reviewing the games. But, We'd be uh, remiss not to do our job of being the review show and have a quick look back at the West Ham game. So I'd sum it up like this: you know, it was a it was a scrappy first half, and we went in one 0 up at half time. Uh, I felt that first half we were we were playing a sort of back to basics. I would call it. It was all about shape, positioning, negating the op- opposition, frustrating them, bit of time wasting in that first half, and it all was sort of led by the fact we got a, a, an early goal from. James MacArthur there, uh, but after half time, it was a familiar story. You know, our, po- our opponents changed the way they played, uh, saw how they could deal with what we were doing. Decisive changes, early changes, as I've said, and we just carried on as we were until it was too late. 
you know, this again, this inability to react, this inability to see what's coming. The fans see it. You can all the comments popping up on social media throughout the game. They know what's coming, but for some reason, we just seem to feel that we'll just if we just carry on, it will be fine. And it wasn't fine, you know. And as as good as the, as good as two of the three strikes uh, were, you really have to question an awful lot around all three goals. Um, and we'll get into the analysis of those. Of course, it was a late uh, Jeffrey Schlupp header, uh, which brought a score, sort of a respectable edge, if you like, gave us that little bit of hope. But it wasn't proper hope. We all kind of knew it. Um, and overall, that the fact it was three two didn't fool anybody. It was a display low on energy, far from the urgent high-quality play we'd seen uh, just a week ago against Burnley. So a couple of stats before hopefully get some input from the gentleman uh, on a number of points. So the first point was that was our 50th defeat in Premier League London derbies, uh, and that was our 91st match of that kind, and that's the fastest anybody has done that. Uh, the second place <laughs> team to do that was Fulham with 99 games. So... Uh, we are effectively the worst club in London derbies uh, for the Premier League. Um, we've picked up 12 points in 16 Premier League games. Only last season, uh, where we had 11 at this stage, have we ever had um, a worst points total at this stage since it was three points for a win. So that's a very long time. Um, James MacArthur's opener was the earliest goal we've scored in a Premier League game this season, five minutes and 41 seconds, with Wilfred Zaha against Brighton in April 2018, the last time we scored a faster goal uh, in the Premier League. So just a, a you're, selection. You're on fire with these stats. That's I know, I, it's almost like I just ripped them off the BBC website, isn't it, in a in a hasty <laughs> decision pre-show. Pre but um, just thought those are some points of interest there that were worth talking about. And I think the worrying one is obviously the points total after 16 Premier League games. Awful stuff. But guys, as we do, very quickly delve into the tactics and game plan. The thing I'm going to go with is, and this is this will potentially lead into a sort of general conversation later on, but for this game we saw there were no changes in personnel at all. No changes in the the, the structure that we had. And that's four straight games now. Started at Manchester United with 0-0. Carried on at Burnley with a 2 0 win, so you can kind of forgive it. Played the same against Brighton and then played exactly the same against West Ham. And for me, it's those three games in quick succession, three games in a week. Uh, I've called it an archaic approach in my uh, in my notes, and I have to say, I mean, against you, you would think obviously that three games in a week. Am I, am I wrong here? And, I, and I'll start with you, Chris. Am I wrong in in, in thinking that? we have to change the personnel when we've got three games in a week. If you look at any other Premier League club, and I started looking at it, and I, I think I'm backed up in saying this, no other Premier League club would play the same personnel and system in three Premier League games in a week and expect uh, not to see some kind of negative. I.e., you know, particularly against West Ham, we saw the players very leggy, very tired from the second half onwards. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, other managers and other clubs... Uh, do make changes both between games and during games as well. And, and this is an enduring frustration with Roy's tenure. Um, we used to complain, I mean, if I think back five years, I think we were complaining about Holloway and subs. And this continues to be a bedeviling, frustrating situation. You know, why changes aren't being made? Now, one thing that I will say in defence of Roy is that 
he clearly wasn't backed in the transfer market in the summer. And we'll, you know, while we'll come on to some of these broader points, it's you know it, it's clearly a massive problem that there isn't the depth and there aren't the options on the bench. And you know, I mean, a lesser manager would be saying things like that in the public. Um, you know, would be out there giving interviews, slagging off individual players, saying they aren't good enough. Um, I can understand faith in the system because we simply don't have a decent striking option, um, as certainly Jordan Ayew proved, in my view, um, in the latter points of that West Ham game. Um, and Serlot isn't an awful lot better, albeit that he can play as a target man. So, you know, that forces you to um, do what he has been doing, which is playing our wingers as strikers, um, and then to mess around with things at random towards the end of games. But really, for me, you know, the, the answer, as, as as you've hinted in the question, really, is, of course, we should be changing it up. And, you know, I mean, while some of us probably wouldn't be happy to see Jeffrey Schlupp's name on the starting 11, you know, there were, there were players who deserved to be dropped after that scandalous performance on Tuesday, and probably some who needed to be rested after the game at Burnley. So, yes, there need to be changes, and there need to be changes fast. Well, leading on from that, Mike, obviously, we, you know, Chris has indicated a couple of reasons why he might change players. But more importantly for me is we, we saw exactly what that same system and those same players did against Brighton. So is Roy thinking, well, I've got to give that same eleven the chance to put it right? Is that the, That's the only logical thing I can think. I would imagine that's what it is. I, I'd imagine that some of them went to him and said, look, give me another chance on Saturday. Um, I do find it weird because it was only, I think it was last week when he said, that um, he he knew that he had to change players around because of the amount of games coming up. And three in a week, you'd think, well, I know we've got a lot of games in December, but you'd think that he'd have done that already. So I can imagine that they've gone to him and said, look, we really need to make up to the fans for, for what we've done. Um, but at the same time, as he said in his pre-match press conference, he's got nothing on the bench. So, you know, is it a way of saying, what can I do? Um you know what? What choice do I have? I've got to play these players. Um, it doesn't excuse not changing the tactics around a little bit, or at least not changing them at half time, um, like he used to do. Uh, but I mean, to be honest, we're all second guessing him, and we've run out of we've run out of reasons to suggest why he's keeping on doing what he's doing. Yeah. Every, you know, there's there's thousands of people online saying oh, I'm just lost for words. So, I, you know, I'm no more of an expert than anyone else. I mean, look, um, just to pick up on a point you've made there, where, you know, it might be Roy showing that he's got limited options, if that's the case, and get him out now, because that's, you know, you're, you're playing with points, you're playing with, you know, Premier League survival, if you're not trying to do something different. And, you know, for me, it's it's inexcusable. It really is. There's, And I think it's a, we're starting to get into territory where it's a cop-out. I actually said on, on Twitter pre-game, I'll sort of draw a bit of attention to myself here. I said I was less bothered about the lack of change in personnel. I just wanted to see a different game plan, a different approach. I thought that was more important. But I just I wanted to I... see flexi- flexibility within yeah. the game. And I think the word you just used a minute ago, archaic, sums it up pretty well. Um, it seems to me that the only other team adopting such a rigid strategy uh, is Burnley, and they're in a worse state than we are. Um, you know, flexibility seems to be the way that you, you sort things out uh, this sort of conjecture in the Premier League, and and we seem to be the two teams that are not doing that. Well, exactly, and you know, there's it's a 25 man squad. A lot of people bemoan that, but if you only use the same 13 players maximum, 
you know, you, you're, I'm, you're I'm really asking for trouble. I'm sorry, I have to jump in. Who do you bring in? Who do who do you take out of that starting eleven? Who do you bring in? I don't get it. I, there's no, there's, uh, we're lacking, we're lacking serious depth. And me, I know we'll talk about it in a second, but there's no one really to bring in that didn't play against Brighton and you expect them to change a game against West Ham. Who do you take off? Do you take off Wilf? Because Wilf had a really this bad game against Brighton. Do you take him off? It's a cop-out, right? DR, that's an absolute cop-out to say we've got... We, we've all started believing it because we've seen nothing else. But this goes this goes back further. Obviously, we're talking about West Ham. And, and for me, what the, it was a huge mistake to go with the same team that, that lost against Brighton, purely because they looked tired in that game. They looked off the pace in that game. You, you know, you, no one could, who watched the West Ham game can't tell me before West Ham scored that our midfield suddenly looked like they'd, they, they'd lost their legs completely. I can remember, I think it was Coyote, who just, we, we were actually on the attack and we, they just stopped. They just stopped and slowed to walking pace because they nobody was moving ahead of them. Everyone was static, right? So this is what I'm talking about. The idea that the, 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 the bench or the squad isn't up to it at Premier League level, well, there's two, there's two things for that, right? First of all, None of them are that terrible that they can't play in a Premier League football match. I'm sorry, that that's a complete it's complete rubbish if anyone thinks that they are valid options in a team. And I'm not talking about changing an entire team. I'm talking about so moving who, personnel around. Who do you There's move plenty around? Plenty of experience on that bench, right? Wait, right? wait, wait, wait. Let me finish because I'm trying to make two points, and I'll come back to that, right? And the second point is, if those players are struggling, which I acknowledge they are struggling, most of them, when they come off the bench, it's because they've been criminally underused by a manager who's scared of changing things, who wants to keep the same players. We started this season, he said, oh, you know, well, I want to keep the same players who did well, so well last season. Well, you haven't, because you've lost two of those key players, Roy, in Kabai and Loftus-Cheek. So by keeping the same system and just trying to chuck, chuck a couple of replacements in, not not adjusting to the fact that you've got different players anymore. You've already lost us points. And then you thought, well, okay, well, I acknowledge the fact that, you know, they haven't done as well as they did last season. So now I'm going to change it. Brilliant. Well done. That, that's great. Um, so we've wasted the first few games of the season, brought in some new players and, and tried to find a system that works, except we haven't. We've used the same system. Now, if I'm, I'm not saying that this would have got us a better result because people fall into that trap all the time and say, you know, something didn't work. They, they automatically think of a different choice would work, right? So I'm not saying that these changes would have done better, but I categorically would have changed from a 4-4-2 to a 4-3-3, and I would have played whichever of those two strikers in IU and Serloff was the best in training that week. Because you know what? We needed to do something different after Brighton. We saw it. We saw a team that didn't function. And we also knew that we were coming up against a West Ham team in great form. Now, Roy has gone negative against West Ham, in my view. His whole game plan was let's negate West Ham, right? And if you want to do that, there's players you can do that to bring into, you can help you there, you know? There's players who we never see Reid Vald anymore. We've seen him play one game against Man City where he's absolutely brilliant, just playing defensive midfield and defensive midfield only. And the excuse we hear is, well, he can't, he can't play because we've only got, we've got Luca in that position and Luca's a better player. Well, why not play two defensive midfielders? If you want, if you want to shut down and negate your opponents, right? There's an option for you. But you know, <laughs> whose phone is that? Sorry. Come on, eh? Unbelievable. <laughs> you're fired. Look, look, you know, I don't want to speak to be my soapbox, guys. You've, you've got, you're going to have your views, dear. But I, I, I want to. I'm not that. You know, I'm talking about resting players. Who looked tired? So Coyote looked tired. There's options there. Ping Punch was on the bench. People have slagged him off, but you know, I know the. 
players think a lot of him, and I know he was very good in the the friendlies and the the cup games that he played. So use him. You know, if he's there, if he's good enough to be on the bench in the Premier League game, use him because you know players look tired. If Jeffrey Slup's good enough to come off the bench every game, fine, play him. Ignore the fact. Don't worry about the fact the fans don't rate him at the moment or whatever. Just play him because it's, it's fresh legs. And look at the difference when he came on. He wasn't particularly great or anything like that, but at least he had some energy. At least he drove the team on and he, and he got a really good goal. And this is the point. It's about changes. It's about. It's not just about ability. It's so frustrating to watch. So there you go. That's my answer. It's yeah, rather I, than I understand. Um, like after this game. I agree with you that we should change up and put Will Fernandros out in wide positions. But before the West Ham game, I, I don't, I just, I just don't think changes would have helped. I think Roy actually it benefited him, and I think it benefited the players in a way that um, he kept it in the same, he kept the same lineup, and the fact that these players can actually show themselves. I, I think it would have been, uh, like, if you're looking at changes, the one player I would have changed based on the Brighton game was Tompkins. And I wouldn't change him because he's still James Tompkins. And who do you bring on? Martin Kelly. As far as he's a good player, then I still wouldn't you know, bring on Martin Kelly for James Tompkins because he's a better player. So I think it's worked. I think it's worked in a favour. Uh, like this game, I understand Roy's selection. I think he wanted a reaction from the players and we didn't get that. But still, the players had... You know themselves like they had to prove themselves, and they had a chance, which um, is understandable. But next game, I will change it up. They had, you know, they, we've got they ruined their chance. We've got, we've, we've got, we've got to move this on. We've got to move this on to the uh, to the to the goals uh, and get on to the, the main talking points because we're starting to drift into that. But we'll certainly uh, come back to that, Dr. But I've got to say, but you know, the, the the evidence is there. Roy was wrong in my view, and uh, I know we can all manage in hindsight and what have you, but that's, that's just a simple fact. But, um, so the, so for the Palace f- first goal, uh, MacArthur's sort of drove, driven down the left, Snoggeross fouls him, and it's nice and early on. Um, long free kick to James Tompkins, heads across, MacArthur, he's beaten the offside trap, prods it past Fabianski. First of all, guys, let, you know, let's talk a positive. Goal from a set piece. We scored a goal from a set piece. Yeah, not the only one. Um, uh, sorry, it, it, was, it was a really deep, well-taken goal. I mean, it wasn't, exactly high quality i mean it was a, it was a toe prod um but you know if you have someone in the correct position then you can score and you know i mean it doesn't have to be a striker you know we've we've seen that with the fact that macarthur is one of the only one of our players who does seem to have that killer instinct and a will to make the run and be in the right place at the right time so yeah, you know, very very heartening opening actually to you know to that game and you know obviously it went downhill from there but um you know, great, great to see again. You know, a well worked free um, free kick. The header across from Tompkins was well placed, and you know, I mean, I think their defence are napping, frankly, for MacArthur to be able to jump into that gap, but he did, and yeah, well done. I was, I was just going to say, I think um, because Declan Rice played them on. Um, I, I think that's the only reason that there was even a sniff of a goal. Um, if he'd have been doing his job, uh, we would have had. Know, two three players offside so I think we got quite fortuitous to be honest but uh, it, it was good it was just totally against the run of play and it shocked 59,000 people sitting in there um, but it looked straight away from that that we weren't going to push on um, it looked as it looked it looked like a freakish goal um, and suddenly um, Palace looked as though they didn't know what to do they were ahead they didn't know what to do 
Well, what do you, this this is is really telling for me. So if you, if you look at Roy's post match comments uh, on the uh, for Palace TV, right? He talks about the fact that how difficult it is in the Premier League uh, when teams get themselves a, a lead to protect, if you like. And he basically referenced the fact that that we had a lead to protect in the first half. So if your manager is immediately thinking like that, that what was it six minutes into the game? We've got ourselves 1-0 up and that's a lead that we're going to protect. It shows you everything that, that you know, that, uh, I don't know, it, it, it just tells the story, doesn't it? We, we it does, it does when you just conceded three to Brighton four days before, yeah. I mean, if, if it was Tony Poulis, then maybe, but... Well, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's 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 all very well having a lead to defend, but if you can't defend, if you, if you're just shipping goals left, right, and centre, which we are, and that goes back to you know the comments from Sam Allardyce a couple of weeks back, where he said you know start with clean sheets. That's how you get points on the board. Um, it's 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 unnerving to to see it happen, and that's why people are questioning things at the moment. Dr. I could get a little little sound bite from you on that. Did you do you think we went into our shell the second we scored? Was it would it have been better if we'd scored just before half-time, maybe? Um, no, I think we had to start the game off well, considering how bad we started the game off against Brighton. I think that really cost us. I think we were in shock against Brighton. And again, an early goal, I think, worked in our favour this week. But the thing is, when I when I was watching the game in the first half, um, we defended as a group. I think that was the most important part. I think Kuyate and Maka had a good game in midfield, helping out defensively. I think the main problem especially in the first half and in the second half, was that going forward, everyone was not on the same page and that's worrying because against Burnley, we were so good and all of a sudden, that's gone. Against Brighton, same thing happened as well. It seemed like going forward, um, Andros is one side of the pitch, Wilf is on another side of the pitch, Max, he, 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 I don't know, he seemed like he wasn't up to you know what he was against Burnley. So that's the only disappointing thing. I think first half defensively, we were all right. But that collapsed in the second half and football is a 90-minute game. So it's, 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 it's useless if you can't keep it up for nine minutes. But I think going forward was the main concern, especially in first half for me. I can't remember the last time I could keep it up for 90 minutes, do you? Um, so <laughs> the, um, <laughs> obviously the, the big factor there in, in what actually changed in the match was, you know, the, bringing on Andy Carroll at halftime. You know, a decisive manager seeing what the problem was. I disagree. I did, no, I did, I, Andy Carroll didn't change the game. The only thing that... Well, you're wrong. No, he didn't change the game. What What did Andy Carroll bring? Okay, tell me, what did Andy Carroll do that game against West Ham? He changed how we he changed how we defended. No, He changed I, how our centre-backs approached everything I, completely. Absolutely he separate, not. He separated us. No, you're wrong. As, you're as, wrong. A, <laughs> as a team, as a team, in the second half, we lacked the urgency. We like West Ham wanted it more. West Ham were going forward in numbers, and also they weren't playing no slow football, which we were doing. It's not Andy Carroll. It's the fact that our players couldn't close down their their opposition players. It's not the defenders; it's the midfielders as well, which was so good in the first half. We just we wasn't up to the speed of West Ham, and that's the disappointing thing. We lacked that urgency, and they were the better side in the second half due to that. Simple as it's not Mike, Andy Carroll. Can you help? Can you help? It's not Andy Mike, Carroll. Can you help me out with Dior's, Dior's myopathy, please? New drinking game for back of the nest. When you two have an argument, you have to have a drink. And when Dr comes up with a cliche, you have to have a drink. So <laughs> I, if you've got, if you've still got that Bush Mills with you, yeah, I'm um, in trouble. That's, that's 
Yeah, that's two shots you've got to go I'm with. I'm in real trouble. All right, next time I get the opportunity to jump on mute, I'll nick two shots of Bushmills. <laughs> Thanks, DR. <laughs> Look, um, you'll have your, you have your view, I have mine, but we've got to move this on. So you're going to get a goal each to talk about. I'm going to start with uh, with you, Chris, for the West West Ham's first goal. Uh, let's knock this on the head and get moving on with this this general chat about Roy and the team and where we go from here. So West Ham, goal one, Palace cross, cleared. We're on the attack, trying to get that second goal. Uh, but the ball ends up being cleared to Felipe Anderson. Completely does Wan-Bissaka with a little bit of skill, playing in Mazuaku down the left-hand side. Eventually, Luca realises he's got to go with him because you've got Wan-Bissaka jogging back a little bit, trying to sort of stick with, with Anderson. Uh, and nobody else coming across. So Luca runs back, uh, but not never never really gets close. Puts the ball in. It's cleared, but the West Ham players coming in have just got all the space in the world. Palace defending really, really deep. Uh, and nobody pushing up the line as we've cleared it. You know, you like to see cross comes in, ball gets headed out. You'd like to see someone push the line up. Someone like Tompkins or Sacco screaming for everyone to get up, get, get West Ham offside. But instead of that, the midfield and the defence just stay back in the area. Uh, goes over to the right-hand side. Zabaleta, Snodgrass out there. Uh, Mayer's nearest. PVA stands off and watches. Uh, Zabaleta tries across. Sacco heads out, lands with Snodgrass. Mayer's followed the ball. PVA and him marking nobody, contributing nothing to the defensive phase. Snodgrass, all the time in the world to hit a strike. It's a good strike. Keeper's near post. Goes back to what I've been saying, a top keeper saves that. You can't call it a goalkeeping error, but you can say a better keeper does save that at his near post, in my view. So there you go. That's all for you, Chris. Oh, thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, very, very dispiriting. Um, as you said, I mean, a top class keeper probably does save that that shot. I mean, I, I do think it is very, very, very well hit. There's a lot of power behind it. It's curving, um, and he's not got. I mean, so Hennessy doesn't have a clear sight of it either, um, and it's coming very fast at him, but. Um, really, the responsibility for the fact that Snodgrass has such a clear opportunity to shoot is that there's no one closing de- closing down. Um, if someone had been running at him, you know, either that it might have hit them or it might have put him off. Either way, it may not have been as effective a shot. But the fact that there was no one even trying is criminal. Um, it probably reflects less on the players on the pitch, in my view, than on the manager having not made some changes and meaning that we'd got people who were very leggy, very slow, very knackered, frankly. Um, I thought Sacco's clearance was all right at first, but then, you know, clearly it went to directly to an opposition player. There's no one blocking it. So, yeah, but that that's my analysis, really. It's it's fairly straightforward goal, um, but a disappointing one for us to let in. Yeah, I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head, really. It's the lack of closing there in particular. And it's noticeable how often do you see one of our players, you know, pretty much on the edge of the box, have the time to be able to control it with a touch, push it out in front of them and take a shot. You know, everybody knows that you've got to close people down. Exactly. It doesn't happen when we're playing against other teams. So, yeah, it's so depressing the fact that we're having this conversation almost every week now. Yeah, and the signs were there before it with the tiredness. You know, we all saw it. We all saw that sort of energy leave the players, in the, you know, pretty much from the start of the second half. Really disappointing that we, you know, again, if you start with those players, you get yourself a goal up. You've got to watch what's going on in front of you and be brave enough to make the changes when you see well, it. Well, if your priority really you know, is to help, the, you know, to hold the lead, then make some defensive substitutions. That's what Chris Houghton did. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, they had a player less. You know, didn't seem like it, but they did. Um, so that that was uh, that was goal number one for West Ham. So West Ham goal two. Who am I going to pick for this? I don't fancy another argument with Dr. So he can get goal three. Uh, Mike, this is on you. Um, so again, this was a little description for you. So West Ham play the ball in towards Carroll uh, from the right hand side as he controls it and gets away from him. So he, he's running away from goal. Tompkins sort of he's trying to run round him, but as he's running round him, he's he's just brushed the back leg of Carroll and ended up pushing Carroll's back leg and kicking his front leg, causes him to fall. So Tompkins was absolutely livid about that, but I've watched it several times and I have to say it's a foul. Complete accident. I understand why he's reacted the way he did in the heat at the moment, um, but it's still a foul. And from that free kick, Anderson hits it, right? So first of all, the first time you see it, you think, oh, well, Hennessy's he's got himself across. He's had, to, he's had to dive. He's unlucky. He's pushed it away. And when you watch how quickly... Uh, what did I call him here? You're going to need the uh, the beep later on, Mikey, so make a note of the time. The little fucking P, um, Chicharito, he, he's reacted before any of our defence have. Um, no one's gone with him. Wilf kind of notices he should have gone with him as he's striking it to hit it in. Terrible, absolute rubbish. Um, but for me, when you see it back again and you see uh, the position, where, that, where the ball actually is when, when Hennessy punches it, it's, it's in the middle of the goal. You know, he's not had to dive down. He's not stretching for it. It's in the middle of the damn goal. It is a goalkeeper error, categorically. Um, and, and he's, you know, for all the good he's done recently, he's let us down there, in my view. Mike? It was a crap save. Um, and he should have parried it out, either for a corner or caught it. But for me, um, the space... Uh, I don't know if you want me to call him the little fucking pay again or not, but I, I was calling him, in, in the player ratings, I was calling him Chicharito, which is what the stadium announcer yesterday kept calling him. And I thought, that's not even his name, is it? Arrogant it little bastard. <laughs> his name's Hernandez. Um, whatever he is, irritating little... Yeah, like, it, he was the only one that watched the ball, so it was Zahar on the edge of the wall, Um Everyone in the wall just turned around, didn't even move. And it's just symptomatic. I mean, the save, yes, it, it was it was poor, but the whole thing's symptomatic of a side that's just that totally lost their way with, with preparation for that kind of thing. I mean, this is the kind of free kick that they should be doing day in, day out um, on the training ground. And no one had the, the forethought to think, hold on, as a West Ham player on the end of the wall, let, let's make sure we, we keep close to him. Um, they all looked round, just resigned. It was a great finish, to be fair. Um, but it was it just summed up the current state that Palace are in for me. And it was... I know the other two were moments of genius. They were all avoidable goals. But this one was the worst of the three, I think. Absolutely right. So, DR, you get goal three before I wrap this up and we move on. Um West Ham on the attack. Quick switch to Anderson from the right-hand side. Absolutely nobody near him. Wambazaka and, and Tompkins pretty much just watching as he curls it in. Now, as as Mike has said there, it, it's a great strike. Absolutely great strike. But what I wanted to pick from that, and I want to get your views on, you know, it's not that long ago you can remember having players that threw themselves at the ball no matter what. You know, we, we, We've seen it once again that despite the fact it was a good strike, he's had the time to control it. Rolly is right foot over it to put the ball exactly where he wants it and pick his spot. And at that point, nobody has come out to close it down. And, and that's what's disappointing for me. Get your views on that, please. 
all three goals pathetic. It just like the I just don't understand it. That's that. This was my main point in the first half. There was midfielders there, and we defended we defended as a team. However, in the second half, that just went. I don't know what happened. That was just too easy. How can you let someone have a little, you know, touch the ball, look up, then have a shot, like, and still no one is closing him down? I just don't. I honestly don't understand it. I really don't understand some of the decisions that were made in the second half that contributed to the goals. It's just so annoying. And that's my main point, that Andy Carroll did not change the game. It was our fault. It, it, it was our fault. It, it was our, you look at goal one and goal three. And in the first half, midfielders were there to close down, you know, the, the West Ham strikers and the midfielders. Second half, that disappeared. So that's why I'm saying it's not Andy Carroll's fault. And I, I, it's so frustrating. Like, you could probably hear it from my voice, but I just, I honestly don't know what's going to happen with this team because we relied on defence, but that's gone as well now. So what are we looking forward to? We don't have a half-decent defence anymore. We can't score goals. It's gone. All, it's all shambolic. We got two, but <laughs> no, no, I know exactly what you're saying, mate. And look, um, you know, again, I think it's overly simplistic uh, to take the view that when I said the system changed and, and Andy Carroll was an, made an impact, you know, I was saying it was all down to him. You're absolutely right to point out the fact that those goals were obviously avoidable um, for the perspective that Carroll didn't directly get involved in those. I understand what you're getting at. Um, but what I would just say is, it, it's it shows that as much as we're we're you know the managers getting a lot of stick, the board are getting a lot of stick. You know this is an element where the players have to take a look at themselves and, and they have, they have to answer the question why you know why why did you not close that ball down in either of those you know goals one or goal or goal three why are you not closing that why are you not switched on why are you not focused on what's actually happening in front of you on the pitch you know particularly the the defence it's your job it's your job to stop a shot coming in to protect your goalkeeper, to protect your team in the position that they're in. Because the second your head goes down, because you've conceded a goal earlier on from a strike that you, you should have done better on, it's, your head goes down and suddenly you're two further goals behind and the game's gone. And that's that's what's un- unforgivable. So I'll wrap this up. You know, Palace did get a goal back. Jeffrey Schlepp come off the bench. Uh, he won the ball very well in the West Ham third, played in Wilf. Wilf wins a corner. Um, obviously, from that corner, uh, I've picked out that this is where we have to work so much harder to get our best players combining because Wilf runs to Mayer for the short corner. The two of them exchange very calm passes. Mayer is able to actually pick his spot to Schlupp, who's, who's made a good run into the box. Excellent little header. You know, and I've got to praise the players. It's too little too late, but I've got to praise the quality of that goal. It was a very good goal. It's just a shame it, it came late in the game when we're 3-1 down. You know, if that's, if that's our second goal in that game, it changes everything. Uh, very quickly, DR, before I stop this. I think, yeah, just quickly going on the goal. Um, both of the goals come from set pieces and it's definitely something we need to improve on. Before before the West Ham game, we were the only team in the Premier League not to score from a set piece. And we've got players. We've got Creator, we've got Maka, we've got Tompkins, we've got Saka. We've got players that can head the ball. So as we're not scoring goals from open plays, I think we really need to focus on that aspect in set pieces because in previous seasons, that's what helped us survive, especially in the Tony Pulis season. So I think... It's it's just something that we need to really focus on in the training ground. Okay, fair play, cheers, Dr. Um, so there were a couple of the key points where the game could have changed. Obviously, Lucas had a free kick, brilliant free kick. That's um, a bit of a what if moment. If that goes in, just creeps in under the bar. Perhaps it's a different game where we go on to win, fine margins again. But we didn't. 
and you don't give yourself a chance if you don't defend properly. Uh, then, of course, we had the Wilf Yellow card for a stupid late challenge in the 93rd minute. Ridiculous. Uh, and Tompkins, a card in the tunnel after the game. Both of those will miss the Leicester game. And again, that's incredibly frustrating and stupid as well. Nobody gets mad at the match. In summary, we were absolute shite. Um, and we did score two. That's the only positive we've got. So now we get into a section which I've called What the Fuck is Going On? Another bleep, another bleep there, Mikey. Sorry. Um, I think... Look, to start this, to start this properly, the question of Roy's future is probably where we have to start, gentlemen. And um, I know it's a tough one that Roy's a, a, a good guy, respected manager, did a brilliant job for us last season. But, you know, we had a poll earlier on in the season when people were questioning and I think about half people said keep him, and, and, and I think it was only about fifteen to twenty percent who said no. This time, last time I looked at it, it was seventy thirty in favour of getting rid of Roy Hodgson. And I'm going to start a discussion um, on the point of him said. He said this after the game: "We lost. I'm not sure what assessment to make. After they equalised, we started to play better and had good control." But after the free kick and strike from Anderson, we find ourselves 3-1 down. We continue to ask questions, but the two goals after the equaliser did for us. So, is is the tough question. And um, it's a tough question I'm going to ask you, Mike. Is that, the, is that the words of a man who's going to be able to change this? Is that the words of a man who knows what he's going to do next game and it's not just going to be same old, same old, he's got a plan to improve our results and to do better. Well, just from my own perspective, it seems like if you take it back 12 months, a little bit less than 12 months, he was a very honest man after after games in, in post-match press conferences. And where things could have been done better, he would say it. I mean, he, he very rarely uh, blamed himself, but he would say... Uh, I could see that this was weak and we'll work on this. That seems to have gone out of his his dictionary completely. Um, you, you know, th- there's none of that. And it's starting to be those kind of comments where you just you just go, well, I know you're lying and you know you're lying. So w- what's the point in any of this? Um, and I have lost a little bit of respect, I must say. Um there's a comment from uh, Quentin Soldan uh, on uh, our Facebook page. Thank you, Quentin. And he said, "Is there anything less? Is anything less than a win versus Leicester enough to seal Roy's departure?" Um, well, it's a, t- it's a tough one. Um, I mean, what what I would say is um, for all of these for all of these strange comments he's making before and after games. And the fact that the players seem to have lost their way quite a lot. Um, I don't necessarily know that getting rid of him is the answer because I think things are a little bit more deep rooted than that. Um, and I don't know, you know, say, say we lose to Leicester, and that is because it doesn't look like he's going to get sacked before then. Um, we're going to lose to Man City. Uh, so say we're staring on the down the barrel of twelve points from eighteen games. Um, you know, if someone comes in to steady the ship briefly um, and, you know, starts saying the kind of things that he said last season, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that. 
it's only going to paper over the cracks which seem a lot deeper and uh our our other podcast uh fyp uh other palace podcast rob sutherland who's you know he's a, he's a, he's a great he's a great commentator in the game he said well you know what about selling some players because i don't think there's any other solution to this i don't think it's the the manager uh, I don't want to paraphrase him in case I've got him wrong, but essentially he was saying, um, if there's no money, um, I don't think the manager's the solution, but perhaps getting rid of some of our more valuable assets is the only answer. Uh, and I sort of think that Hodgson's alluding to the fact that there is there is not a lot more he can do. Um, so he he's sort of lowered his expectations. He's gone, well, all right, we've we've you know we've we've played all right after the first goal went in. But it's like, why did it take until we conceded a goal for us to start playing like that? I just, I don't, I don't understand why that is. Um, go on, I'll let you jump in, DL, because I'm sure it's relevant to what Mike's just said. Uh, yeah, in terms of um, player, uh, you know, getting rid of players, I said the same thing on Love Sport after the Brighton game as well. You look at our top spenders, um, so who we spend the most on in terms of wages, Benteke, Sacco, Wilf. I feel like in our in our squad, we've got good players in our starting 11, but we've also got bad players on the bench. We haven't got a balanced squad, in my opinion. And I think that's due to us spending loads on quality players on their day. Yes, but I don't think it's working out. As we saw yesterday against West Ham, as we've seen this season, it, when when things don't work out, we look at we look at our bench, and there's not really that many guys that can change the game. So I think personally, we have to. It, it goes more than Roy. Um, it's it's our squad. I think we have to. If you're looking at them three players that I mentioned, I think ideally Selsako. Um, you know he's a good defender, but if you're if you're looking to get rid of one of them to improve the squad, it will probably have to be Sako. We we can improve on that position. We've got Scott Dan and Martin Kelly. And we could get another player. And yeah, I think our squad's balance is not ideal, to be fair. We need to try to balance it out by getting rid of some players that earn a lot. Well, I take the point. Um, I always think it's very easy to say, well, just sell that player. Because, I mean, first of all, you have to have someone who wants to buy them and then and buy them for the money you want to sell them for and then pay the wages that they want or, or at least are currently on. Um, so I think, as much as that sounds like a good solution and a simple solution, I think the complexity around it is um, it doesn't really lend itself to being an immediate solution to the problem. Uh, what I would add to that, and I've got to be careful, I've drunk quite a lot of whiskey and I'm in danger of going on a massive rant because there, there was a lot that you that, that Mike said as well um, about whether or not it, it's worth, it's, it's just down to the manager. Again, I say go back to squad management. So first of all, he's not managed his squad properly. Okay. Second of all, the team that we've got, the players that we've got in general, should be performing better than this. Everyone keeps pointing to recruitment, and there's a lot of revisionism going on. People going, "Oh, you know, vanity signings from the chairman." Every single one of you wanted us to sign Sacco. Every single one of you was delighted when we spent money on Ben Seke. So don't pretend you weren't. Don't pretend you were sitting there going, "Oh, I, I, I think we should have spent ten million pound on three three you know each on three players rather than spending 30 on Ben Teke. you didn't you didn't think that at all it's all it's all hindsight again and for me the players underperforming buck stops with the manager and what what I would say is it doesn't make sense to me I understand the point being made but it doesn't make sense to me to go out 
sell your best players, your most saleable assets, and expect to be able to quickly build a team that can, you know, that if that was done in the summer, fair enough, but it wasn't. You know, the position we're in now is that we need a change. And for me, I just asked the question, what's what's most likely to happen? Roy changing, you know, playing a different system, listening to the players, listening to the people around him, um, being brave, giving players game time when they need game time. What's more likely? Roy doing that or us changing the manager so someone will do that? And, I, and I'll be just, honest with you. Just, so just to jump back in and say, I, I, I think it's more a case of pointing out that the issues are more deep rooted and that that you know we're not necessarily going to sell our most saleable assets until at least the summer and i don't think we're we're, we're sort of referring to sacco because I'm, I'm not sure that there's going to be that many people up for him okay he's back in the france squad but i think we're talking more the really sellable assets of Sahara and wambasaka but i think what it is it, it proves that there's stuff that is a lot deeper than just changing the manager, than just getting in Yukanovic, who people have mentioned, but has a terrible defensive record. Um, you know, we're, we're, there's a, there's a top-heavy wage structure um, and it's not going to be simple to just change it, whether it's selling people or getting rid of the manager. is not a very simple answer. So, um, obviously, selling players is, is, is something you can think about, but that's just a way of saying... Um, you know, there's not a simple solution to this. We've got a huge wage bill, um, which means we have very few options to sign people. And as a result, uh, there's very limited things that the manager can do. Right. Now, if, if you're saying that the manager, uh, you know, he's not getting the, the basics right, that's that's definitely different. Yeah, I think to, to go back to the point when I said saleable assets, I, I, re I really mean from the perspective of if you want to sell players, you have to pick the players that people want, unfortunately. It's not, we can't, you know, whether, whether you believe or not whether Cardiff want Jordan much back, I'll, I'll still use him as an example. You can't just go, okay, right, so, I don't know, Johnny Williams, Jordan Much, Jason Punchin, uh, Jairo Riedeveld, uh, they're not getting in the team, so let's, let's sell them, let's sell them, get a load of money for those and go and buy some new players. You know, let's freshen things up because, you know, the, the manager's not the problem, you know, whatever. That, that doesn't work like that. If you want to go out and sell some players, unfortunately, it's going to be the players that people want. That's that's the reason I said it the way I did. Um, but I, I totally agree that there are deep-rooted problems, and we're certainly going to talk more about what those are. But bottom line is, I get, go back to you, Mike, and obviously get some views from the others as well. Is Roy getting the best out of the players that he's got? Is he playing a system that suits the team, the, the squad? Well, I mean, simply we've got to say no in that, it, with a with a very similar team, he was doing a lot better last season. But I was having a discussion with someone that came with us to to West Ham yesterday, and he said, "You can't underestimate how big a difference Loftus Cheek and Kabaya made." And obviously, on paper, it looked like we'd replaced at least Kabaya fairly well. But he got us out of a hole last season with a not massively better squad, but a, a slightly better squad. And he's not performing anything. You, you know, we're not doing the basics in the same way. So. No, he's probably not getting the the best out of them right now. Um, and I think all a, new, a manager change would do, provided it is the right manager and provided they get the same sort of things out that Hodgson did, you know, when he first came in, we could stay afloat again. But then this whole thing happens again. You know, 
a year later, 18 months later, that we're floating near relegation again. And it's just like, it, it, this is not a sustainable way of this club working. Um, and I think, I, I'm afraid I can't see who it was that made the comment, but someone said, uh, I think it was on Twitter, um, I feel like I'm a bit resigned to everything now. And that's exactly how I feel right now. It's the sixth season and I almost think I wouldn't mind if we went down because, and I know people are going to send me pelters for this, but just to start again, I just, I don't know that there's, I want a long term, a longer term solution than someone getting us out of trouble for this season. Well, on that topic of what you said, so we had, we had comments. So one was from Mark Drew. Hi, Mark. Um, he said, have we gone as far as we can with the team? Can't see us progressing past the bottom eight. And um, Ryan Delahante, who's uh, at Ryanimation, which I enjoy, um, said, are we coming to the natural conclusion to our time in the Premier League? Not necessarily this season but it feels at this point we'll continually fail to progress in a different direction as we're stuck with a huge wage bill and a small squad. Uh, and all of those, you know, those two points, you know, in a broader sense, I, and I, I think it's, it's, a, it's something worth considering that, and you have to look in the context of the, of, of all the teams in the Premier League, pretty much below the top six, um, you know, and I'll try and, if I, if I lean on something that's been, I saw in a couple of comments to Steve Parrish this week, um, which were how can we be in this position after six years in the Premier League? And the flip side of that, there was a question to answer there. Certainly, the flip side of that is well, that's the only chairman you can actually ask that to who's ever been in charge of Crystal Palace. How how are we struggling this badly in the top division after six years? He's the only one you can ever ask that to. So does that in itself not tell you a story that how difficult it is to keep a, t- a team, a club of this size in the Premier League, and that every decision you make is under a huge amount of scrutiny. And sometimes it's not a case of that's the right decision or the wrong decision. Sometimes you've got 20 different decisions to make and they'll all turn out wrong in hindsight. It's, I think people oversimplify when it suits them. And, and I'm, I'm, we're all guilty of that as well. Okay, I'm, hands up. I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else or I know more than anyone else. It's just an observation. Uh, it's interesting because if you look at what has happened over the last few years, there's always been one of these clubs that's been hovering around and eventually its luck has run out. So, I mean, Swansea, uh, Stoke, West Brom, you know, teams that are near the bottom. But if we think about Swansea a few years ago, you know, they they were the poster child, weren't they, of how to run a team. They'd got um, a chairman who understood that, you know, you got the same kind of manager in, um, you know, you'd got a con- continuity of recruitment. Um, we've never had that. Um, to be fair, it's got to be said, you know, that we've lurched from crisis to crisis. But it does feel like end of days, you know, that we are now possibly in a stage where we've got, taken one gamble too far um, and this may be the season where we, where we pay the price. It might be we get away with it again, but we need to get back to a, or even rather than saying get back to, we need to have a longer-term project. I think that's what Mike was saying, and he's right. Yeah, that We need a plan. Um whether that starts in January, whether that starts in the summer, um, I don't know because I think we're almost in a position where this season is pretty much a write-off and we're either going down or we're going to scrape through. So I'd focus on achieving scrape through and then do the you know, the rewrite of the plan in the summer. But we've got to make sure we survive first. And that way we've got the money to rebuild as we need to. Looking at the plan, I think we've, we, we have got a plan in place, but it's, it's the fact that... Um, it's just 
he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't gone to like every season there's there's always something going wrong it's either the managers or the results so it's just we always get distracted there's so many stuff going on at the club what's happening with the american investors and the facilities i understand that we're going to improve the stadium um that is it's been approved but i'm not too sure when we're exactly starting the training ground um Apparently, the academy there's been uh, a lease. We've leased the train the academy facilities for since five years. So there's been slight improvement, but it just seemed like there's so many things that's going on at the club that we're not really focusing on one thing. And the main thing is that even if Roy does go, is this this squad is still here? We still we still haven't got the balance in our books. I understand what you mean, Chris, that you're looking at it in hindsight, but. As fans, yes, we wanted Saka. Yes, we wanted Ben Teke. Yeah. But I think I feel like sometimes Steve Steve Parrish goes more into fan mode rather than chairman, and that's 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 the mistakes he's done. Yes, it's great to have Saka in the team, but maybe it would have been better if we didn't get him and we balanced out. We got two players, two half decent players, than one good player. It would have benefited us. Or maybe, or maybe it wouldn't. But that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, but um, that's what I'm saying. Much. But Steve Parrish sometimes got. It feels like in in terms of the dealings, yeah, it's great to get Max Meyer. It's great to have Saka and Benteke, but he knows the club better. He knows our financial position better than anyone else. So if it's if it's not going to help us in the long term, maybe be more of a chairman rather than a fan. That's what it feels like. Sometimes it feels like he's more of a fan than a chairman. So so just it's on that subject, Liam Tallis is, is I think he's probably hit the nail on the head with what you're trying to say. I think maybe people should cut post some slack. I don't think any of his decisions have been lazy or ignorant. He's just out of his depth. I'm not sure I agree with that. But do we have fans? Do we as fans have to grow more patient than every year having a meltdown and then employing a saviour, suggesting Parrish should leave after he's learned about being a Premier League chairman for six years? That's what Hambo said, and now has the experience. He's also hasn't managed to keep us up and brought some decent players. I would suggest there is no man in the world with Palace at heart with that experience. No other man, sorry. So I, I think he's just echoing what you both said there. Yeah, and I'd, and I'd definitely take the point from there. I think I think probably, I don't speak for him, but I think probably Steve would say himself, maybe, maybe he has thought like a fan more than a, a chairman at times. But personally, I, I don't think that's something I'll criticise for. And you've got to be careful what you wish for, to quote, another former chairman because you know there's plenty of clubs out there who wish their chairman thought more like a fan than they did a businessman you know and there are plenty of businessmen who've come over and got involved in football clubs uh, and have been absolute cast iron failures because of the fact that football really isn't a business (laughs) it 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 sort of masquerades as one but it's um it certainly doesn't really follow follow any logical pattern, and unless you've got vast sums of money to invest in a football club and you don't want to return, uh, you're certainly guaranteed nothing by spending the money you do make. Uh, and again, we all, as fans, we have that opportunity. That uh, I don't say right. That's probably not the way of thinking about it, but we certainly get that chance to say what was right and wrong about decisions people made, and we should be spending this and we should be spending that, and demanding that people put their hands in their pocket. But ultimately. How many times over the years have we seen people spend a whole bunch of money and it achieves nothing anyway? So um, I do want to ask another point on Roy because we are sort of debating uh, amongst ourselves and, and factoring in your opinions at home as to whether or not Roy is suitable for taking us forward. I've, I've said, you know, something has to change and I, it's either going to have to be Roy or it's going to have to be 
you know, he's either going to have to change himself or we're going to have to change the manager. But I also ask the question, do we feel that the players have lost that belief? You know, there's that phrase, lost the dressing room, the dressing room that gets a little bit overused. But DR, did you see a team play West Ham on Saturday that believed in their manager's methods, believed in his tactics, believed in his game plan and executed it how he wanted? Not really. Um, it, it seems like by the game you saw against Brighton, I think Brighton, our emotions got ahead of ourselves rather than the game plan, even though you know the game plan worked against Burnley. But I think the belief is slowly going there. And I understand because Will Fernandros is not a striker. They're not strikers. They're playing out of position. So once you play players out of position and they don't like it, well, I, I personally don't know whether they do like it or not, but let's say they don't like it then you're going to lose a belief and you're not going to play for your manager. It doesn't create a good atmosphere. And the problem with Roy is that I, I don't know if he will change it. It seems like he'll keep with the same effort because we haven't really seen a change. We played his 4-4-2 formation even last season. And last season it worked with Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kabay. So you could argue that losing them two players didn't help Roy. The club could have done better getting them. I'm not I'm not blaming Steve Pratt, but I'm just saying it's it's not it's not one thing. It's not... I have a Steve Parrish on the board and Roy, but it just shows that he, I don't know. I, I don't see Roy changing their belt. And if he doesn't change it, then I guess we'll have to get another manager in who could play our best players to the best of abilities in their favourite positions. No, that's pretty much exactly how I'd sum it up. That's, you know, that, that, even if you kind of make your peace with the fact that certain players have been asked to play different positions, you know, again, I, I pointed to this on um, an interview I did with Love Sport yesterday, where if you name our, our four attacking players, bear in mind we're struggling to score goals. You know, okay, we scored two yesterday from set pieces, but particularly in open play, we're really struggling to score goals. Our four most attacking players were Max Mayer, um, Andros Townsend, Wilfred Zaha, and James MacArthur. And none of them are playing in their correct positions. If arguably, you could certainly argue the case with Wilf, right? You know, he, he has been converted as more of a forward over the last few years. But Andros definitely out of position playing up front as much as he's doing a job. Max Mayer's not a wide left midfielder, plays central midfield. James MacArthur's not a wide right midfielder, plays play, you know plays in central midfield as well. Um, and the fact that they're doing a a job, great, but why why pick a system like that that doesn't use people in the right positions you've got to, you know that's that's for me is where roy is maddening absolutely maddening nobody else really does that personally for me he's got two games to prove himself wrong uh, you know prove us wrong i don't see it happening but leicester and cardiff i think man city even if we were playing great this season man city are just a different breed in the premier league so Regardless, you know, I don't think we would have expected to beat Man City. So he's he's got Leicester and he's got Cardiff for me. I don't know about you guys. I think after that, it only makes sense. Boxing Day, get a new, get get rid of Roy. I, I you know, he's a good guy, but if he doesn't change about, then there's no point in keeping him. And in but in January, you'll have a new manager, and you can actually get you know players that actually uh, look at a new manager. You know, and. I think that I think that'll be the best option to get him get a new manager before January. Yeah, to get a place that the manager wants. I think a lot of people say, "Oh, who, say who's out there?" And they all and again. I've said this before, but the temptation is they look at out of work managers rather than managers in work. For the record, it's interesting when Sam Allardyce left that he recommended uh, Chris Wilder, who's at Sheffield United, and said, "Get him in, and let him build something for a period of time." But again, we chose Frank De Boer to do the same thing. 
which was obviously a failure. And our reaction to that was to bring Roy in, which was a great decision at the time. But a little bit like when Allardyce came in, I had a problem with that because Allardyce never built anything. That was my problem with that. I didn't have any doubt that he would do what he was going to do, use his methods to keep the, the team in the Premier League. He didn't have any doubt over that if you go back to our podcast and have a look because it's exactly what I said he'd do. But I had a real issue, aside from the sort of England stuff, I had a real issue with the fact that he, he's never really built a lasting legacy anywhere, you know. Um, and again, we've we've had that short-termism. And the, the Premier League forces you to do that. It's not necessarily a criticism of anybody. You know, it does force you to do it. It does force you to panic. Um, but it, look, it is what it is. Going back to the sort of team selection issues we've been talking about, obviously I mentioned earlier on four games that he hasn't changed the team for, three in a week being the biggest issue there. Asking, you know, players to play three lots of 90 minutes in a week. I expect them to be at the same level as uh, arguably players who hadn't done that. Um, and when you talk about it's the whole team, um, you, you'd at least like a couple of fresh faces in there, uh, some degree of squad rotation. I had a bit of criticism over that. Uh, but a couple of bits of contact in from uh, people at home. So Richard Tate got in touch and said, how have Palace allowed themselves to have the ninth highest wage bill in the league? Um, so based on recent performances the wages palace are paying is way or too much why doesn't read about get game time and why what have we got to lose by giving Sirlock uh, a run of games from the start uh mr cabris power what do you think of playing maca as a target man until benteke or wickham are fit i mean the, to answer the second question I, d- I don't think it'd necessarily be any worse than are you or Sirlock, um certainly but at the same time yet again it's it's asking a player to play in a position that isn't his own and at the Premier League, should you really be in that position where you're having to do that with multiple people with multiple games? I don't think so. Um, and as for Richard's comments over Reed about not getting a game, um, and I said it earlier, the, the, I think it was Ray Lewington who said it at the Trust event, it's because he's not as good as Luca. That's why he doesn't get a game. But there you go. That's that's the answer there. I might say, why not play an additional defensive midfielder and change the system in that case? Uh, it just shows you the devotion that they have to the way we're playing. And finally, Sirlock, Again, he, he hasn't convinced me, to be honest with you, but would he be any worse than, than, than what we're currently seeing in general? Hard to say, really. Dion. Quickly on Reader World, how comes he... I understand that Luca is the better player, but how comes he doesn't get on our bench, though? That's that's a worrying thing. I think if you're looking at January, if it's... That, that's the thing. If we, if, if we don't get rid of Roy, then we could potentially lose Reader World. And if a new manager does come in after January, then... They might, they might have actually liked Reader World in the team. That's why I'm saying that if we're going to get rid of him, I think by the end of this month, please, because I think Reader World is a good player. I'm not saying he's a, he's a he's a great Premier League player, but he hasn't played that many games. And when he has done, I think he's performed well. And for him not to be even on the bench, considering how bad we're playing, it just is so worrying. Right. More than more than anything. My worries about um, Hodgson come from from Riedabel because clearly it's a personal issue. Um, there's no there's no reason that he shouldn't be on the bench. Um, there's not really any reason I can say that he's not starting. Um, so it just makes you think if it's a personal issue, um, and it's got to the point where Hodgson has to um, make his decisions based on who he likes as people. Um, I think something's very wrong. I know they said that. They didn't think that his, you know, he was he was that great at, at positioning in that and in that same Lewington interview. Um, but certainly, 
when Stephen Reid was about, he, he, he got a lot more credibility. Um, so it makes me think it's a personal thing. My worry is that he's going to go in January um, if Hodgson hasn't. Um, and you're, you're both right. He, he's he's a decent player and he, sh- he should be at the very least uh, in 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 the mix somehow. Um, and it's it's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, and just in fairness, he, so you're... so just to go back onto the uh, the comments about people playing out of position. Uh, Kira Brody has talked about um, maybe pushing Wan-Bissaka up a bit more into midfield. But I think the, the same thing applies. You know, he, he's already he's already showed himself to be a, a great player. Um, and although he had a, probably a, one of his worst games against West Ham, um, I think at the very least, he's one of the few players in the, in the squad that we know is in the right position and doing the best that he can. I just want to... Yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And I want to just quickly jump back to read around and just say, to give it a bit of context a bit of balance you know when I've when I've watched him play in the under 23s uh you know as they show those games now and I always take a little break at work to watch at least a half if I can um he's looked like he could care less um, and I'm not saying that's there's not a reason for that but you're never going to win your place back in the team if you do that and it's, he did turn a move to Swansea down as well which again if you don't want to play in the championship fair enough but it is clear that that has soured relations between Jaro Riedeveld and the club in general because he hasn't moved on when he was asked to move on uh, and he's not uh, deemed good enough to get in the team. Chris? Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to um, talk about Riedeveld as well. And the, the thing that I want to say about him is that he is a vital part for me of us making sure that we've got that glide path, glide path even, for if we do go down. You know, I mean, Richard's question originally included a number of points, but one of one of the points was we've got the ninth highest wage bill in the league. That's going to give us a real problem if we do end up getting relegated at the end of this season, because you know, one, a lot of players will leave, um, but also, you know, I mean, who's going to fill those spots? Um, so, you know, Reader World for me would then be a natural first team choice once we've lost a lot of those players who currently are taking you know taking up those positions in terms of um the striker thing i actually i quite like mr cabri's parrot's idea of putting um maca up top for now but really i mean this highlights the point that you know we're just desperately counting down to january and we need to make sure we buy a striker on the first or second of january because without that you know we we are toothless you can see it buy a striker any striker well, not any striker, but we need to buy, we need to work out who it is immediately. We need to know who that is that we want to buy now, and frankly, be having those negotiations so that it's ready. Just get that deal ready to go early in January. Don't leave it to the end of the month like we usually do. But I don't see how so a striker is going to sort out the fact that um, you know Chikorito was on his own in about ten yards of space after no. a free kick, and also also it goes more than just you know, just getting a striker. Is the fact that Roy, even after the Brighton game, when he mentioned that if I had players to bring on to change the game, I would have brought them on. There's 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 depth issues as well that I've, I've brushed away, but in, in recent weeks, it showed that it's actually a real issue. It's going to be... January is going to be real interesting. Getting a striker is not easy at all. I think it's the hardest positions out of all of them because if you want to get a prolific striker, you're going to have to pay lots of money, which we don't currently have. So we're going to have to take a gamble, but I we still, need to improve on depth as well. 
I still don't. I still. I, I still don't. Well, I do accept that there we would we could do with more quality in depth. But I don't accept Roy saying against Brighton. Oh, if I could have changed something, there was players on the bench I could have brought on to change things. I would have done. You're telling me you can't change things against ten men. You can't take off a defender when a back four is marking one player. You can't. You can't do that. You can't put a more attacking player on in that position, whether it's Jordan Ayew or Alex Serloff at half time. You can't do that. It's, it's crap. It's, he's, he's 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 falling back on an excuse, and I hate it. I hate to see that. You know that's a mistake. That is a mistake to not go chasing that game when you're three one down, three nil down at half time. It sounds to me as though you are now of the opinion that you think Roy should go. <laughs> I said it on Twitter. I can't I can't back away from that. I, and I said it on the view that I don't think the players have any faith in his methods anymore. And I don't believe my problem is that. I don't. Okay, so if you if you canvass every single Palace fan and just ask a really simple question, do you think things need to change of what we're currently seeing, or do you think we can carry on as we are? Right. I would I would say you'd be very it'd be very weird if we didn't get a hundred percent yes. I think things need need to change. Right. Yeah. I, agree. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Yeah. We have to change. So that, that yep. Yeah, so then yes, that leads course. me onto the question. That, that leads me onto the question: Is Roy going to change? Nope. And is he going going to change quickly, decisively? And then the trouble is, once once I've answered that question, yeah, you're right, dear. No, once that question's answered honestly, is Roy going to is he going to believe in his methods? Of course, he's going to believe in his methods because his heart is honed those methods over the last fifty odd years in football, right? It, and and you cannot, you know, I'm, we're we're just Palace fans sitting here recording a podcast, right? We can't. We, we our, our views and knowledge about football do pale into into insignificance compared to Roy Hodgson's. But at the same time, you know these are it's, it's a really simple question, isn't it? Do we think he'll change? No, we don't. Do we think change is needed? Yes, we do. Therefore, the two things can't carry on, can they? Well, it depends when you think change wants to come. I mean, say say he was to retire at the end of the year, and say Parish was thinking that he's going to save four or five million on sacking him. And he genuinely thinks, you know, I'm not sure there's anyone I've got on my radar that's going to do any better. Then perhaps it's best to be planning in exactly the same way that Chris said for next season, for, to have a plan A and a plan B, which I know is something that Hodgson never never bothers doing. Um, but, you know, people like Riedewald are key to, to plan B. And say it does look like the worst is going to happen and the only options are people that he doesn't necessarily trust. I don't know if keeping Hodgson is the worst thing. I, I personally think, if you're actually looking at the big topic, I think Roy drinks Dr Pepper. I think that's the issue. That's the real issue here. I think he drinks salt and pepper. I think that's a real problem here. Look, it's a bit old school. Like even his trait, like his style of football, it's a bit old school. I think. What, what's old school about Doctor? I was pushing for a Doctor Pepper promotion here, getting a few free cases. You've actually. Yeah, I'm just that. thinking about Dude, it. I'm like 100. He drinks salt I mean, and pepper. I'm, all, just, I'm just thinking about. Yeah. Right. First. First of all, right, Roy would be terrified of the concept of Dr. Pepper. It's certainly not from his era. <laughs> okay. He 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 would think it's a medicinal medicinal product product and not a uh, not a soft drink, right? So that that's problem number one. But second of all, come on, mate, we want free Dr. Pepper. It is the best drink out there. Stop disrespecting it. It's no iron brew though, is it? 
that is nasty as well. Interesting story. Interesting, interesting story about Iron Brew. I, I once went to, um, I, I manage a, a team of people uh, in, in Scotland as well as in uh, in the south of England, right? So whenever I go, I go up there to visit, I, you know, obviously uh, get the opportunity to sample Iron Brew in its home. And uh, I once went to the vending machine in the office and got myself a diet iron brew and it dispensed uh, three cans in one go. And I was like, guys, do you realize the vending machine dispenses three cans of diet iron brew in, in one in one hit? And nobody knew because obviously nobody in Scotland has diet iron brew. Yeah, I'm surprised they even uh, sold it, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's for English people. Chris? Well, I thought you were going to say that the you know being in Scotland, the iron brew tastes better, like like with the Guinness thing. But <laughs> if if it's it, it absolutely yeah, real girders up there. Did it? Yeah. Okay. No, it well, that, that, that's that's what we're told. So, the, moving on to, back onto the serious subject of um, whether to sack Roy, I am going to then ask the obvious question that we have quoted a little bit, which is so who's out there? And now I appreciate, as you said, it doesn't just have to be the sack managers that we're looking at. We can look at people who are currently in work. But there's, I mean, from what I can see, certainly if you look around the Premier League and the league below us in England, there's there's either people who we don't want or people who won't come in the majority of cases. I mean, Sean Dyche is someone I'd throw out there as someone who maybe we should be trying to, but obviously we probably upset the apple cart by not signing him when we could have done um, summer before last. Yeah, um, I still think, he'd, uh, still think he'd pay his own cab fare to come join us. So well, you know, at the moment that that's the option that stands out for me, um, and I think David Wagner would be great again. But um, why would he come to us right now? Not sure. Um, so yeah, a dice for me if if you're going to make a change. Um, and to be honest, yeah, based on the questions that you set earlier on, um, do we need to change? And is he going to change? For me, the answers are yes and no. And therefore, reluctantly, I'm in a position where. You know, although sentiment says we should keep him, if you're going to sack him or if you're going to ask him to resign in January, you might as well get rid of him now and start making the change and planning for January. But but Dice is the same issue, surely. I mean, you you look at the reason Burnley lost to us, and let's be honest, I know we created a lot of chances, but I didn't think we were that great in that game. There was some good triangular football and stuff, but he's still refusing to change from his four four two. So you're going to find the same thing in 12 months' time. He's had a freakish time with Burnley. It's not going to happen again. Um, you know, if if you want something lasting, obviously Wilder is a different proposition because he's, he's done, you know, he's he's really grown at, at Sheffield United. But I don't think Dice is going to offer anything other than another few months of, you know, parity or whatever people think the expectation are with Palace before it goes downhill in exactly the same way that it's gone with Hodgson. Well, it's it's certainly something up for debate as to whether or not he would achieve. It's a little bit like Eddie Howe, you know, when he left, left Bournemouth, struggled a little bit at Burnley, went back to Bournemouth and has got that reputation he's got. And obviously we were very keen on him at one stage, but that's, I think that ship has sailed. Mikey's, Mikey's thrown out David Moyes and Brendan Rodgers there as well. Uh, are your views? I'm surprised no one has mentioned Doug yet because he's clear. I'm I'm certain that he's going to take over. I don't know as like a caretaker, and I think he's going to be given a chance again. Honestly, do you think that? And I'm surprised no one's mentioned it yet. I'm not saying he's the man to take us on, but he's honest. I see him as the caretaker coach. I don't know how long he'll be caretaker 
uh, caretaker coach, but he's the next man. I want to see him at Paddis. I think he'll uh, when Roy leaves, he he'll handle things, and depending on how well or good, uh, how well or bad he does, then he could actually get the job in that full time. Are you position. old enough to remember the last time, Dio? <laughs> Not, yeah, but I, uh, I think I honestly think something like that could happen. But I could see well, it. The fans are going to have no to... patience with Dougie Friedman. It's 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 only going to take a couple of games of him losing games, and people are going to go, "Ah, oh, I remember Bolton." Fuck yeah, yeah, guy. but I think even if, even even if that happens, even if that happens, uh, I still think he's going to get that few games. I can see him being a caretaker manager. I think he'll be Dougie next. Then after right, let's, he'll probably no, let's not, manager. Let's... Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I understand he's an option, and obviously, people immediately, as soon as he was brought in as director of football, were like, "Oh, he'll be the next next Palace manager." Maybe he doesn't want that. Maybe Steve Parrish doesn't want that. Maybe the fact that he's director of football is clear that that's his job. If I agree with Dr, it's probably more likely as a, a caretaker option. If he does, you know, I'm still so, I'm someone who's quite fond of Dougie uh, as a player and as a manager. Um, I, I thought he had his limitations um, in terms of how he approached it tactically, but I think he's been in football a while since. And um, if he's going to succeed anywhere as a manager, it would be at Palace. But I think maybe that, that ship has sailed from him and perhaps the director of football role will suit him better. Obviously, he gets a lot of stick over every transfer, even ones he wasn't directly responsible for, but people like to pretend they're experts on that and know, everything, know about the ins and outs without actually having any information. But there we go. Um, sorry, I'm being a bit, I'm being a bit facetious there. I apologise. Um, but Jens... Um, you know, obviously taking Mikey's suggestions of uh, Brendan Rogers, who's you know, there's been suggestions he might leave uh, Celtic, isn't there? And um, you know, good good manager, good reputation, did really. He's uh, obviously only eventually you know left Liverpool, but but certainly was there longer than Roy was. Um, and you know, he did a good job at Swansea. Yeah, he did. He did indeed. Yeah, and built a good reputation as a as a coach. At, Chelsea as well. It's only really Reading where he had a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? So, um, uh, and I suppose Moyes, interestingly, sort of rebuilding a a reputation after the Man United debacle, which I think he was on a hiding to nothing. Um, I think he won a bit of respect after what he did at West Ham. But again, I don't think people would be massively keen on that as an option. And look, very quickly, let's um, look at a couple more bits of, of contact that we got in. So Dave, uh, Dave Grinham, 84, um, he said, what's really not working at our club? Investment, coaching, staff, management, the players. Other teams leapfrog us in terms of progression who have less years in the top flight. Is it a combination of factors or can we pinpoint the issue? We have tried changing managers. So that's a little bit like, you know, in terms of what we've been talking about. Um, I would certainly say that it's clearly a combination of all those factors. I think we all know that. Um, and yes, to, to immediately jump to... Changing the manager is is not necessarily the right thing to do, but I think we probably outlined. Well, I've outlined why I think it's necessary, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I suppose probably the, the the other point that we have, we have touched on this is the the idea of years in the top flight and the progression of and having other teams leapfrog us. So let's you know let's just say what it is. I think people looked at what Brighton did against us and said, look. Their recruitment's been more consistent. They've they've bought you know a good volume of players. They've bought good quality of players with relatively low reputations who they've scouted well and they've decided will fit into their way of playing. Blah 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 blah. But you know if you actually just add the context, that was uh, you know that they just lost to Burnley, who made us look like Brazil. So you know football isn't that simple. 
and and the the Brighton that played Palace clearly wasn't the same Brighton that played against Burnley. Um, and you can make all your different excuses and reasons about why that was. I just think you have to be very careful about looking at the facts, you know, about saying we've been here six years, so we should be in a better position. There's no guaranteed right. You know, we talked about Swansea earlier on. We all remember that well-run club, Charlton, who are still in, was it League Two, League One? League One now. Um, you know, who, who just fell completely sort of plummeted through the leagues um, despite being so well run and being in the, in the in the top division for so long, there's no divine right, and at any time it could be you. It could be you that drops out and struggles to get back. We're we're Palace. We've seen that a number of times over the years, and I'm, I'm, it's been very very difficult um, to change that in any meaningful way. And you can have the ambition to do it. And, you know, our our chairman has been rightfully talking about that ambition over a number of years, but actually achieving it is incredibly tough. And a People are very unforgiving on that set. In that sense, and finally, um, our, our very own Cy Pizzi's made a, a point there, which I'll ask the gents about. Roy Hodgson has said in the summer uh, transfer window it was a significant time for us. Uh, this is because several key players were leaving, and we needed to rebuild the squad. However, it transpires we were the second lowest net spenders, Spurs being the lowest. So, how much of our current plight is the fault of Roy or, our, or of our owners' failed transfer policy? Is it time for them to step up in January? Or if not, should they step aside? So it's board decision time. We've kind of talked about the Roy in or out, but we'll revisit that just at the end of the show. But um, what about the board? Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Um, is it a failed transfer policy or is it the fact that there are no guarantees in the transfer market and we're always going to have limited money to spend? Well, first of all, thank you for everyone getting in touch. There's a couple of people that have mentioned, uh, you know, comments along the lines of parish out well you know those group of people own the club and they can do what they like and it still is the fact that you know they're doing it for a business and we we take it from um the mentality that we love the club and when people talk about the faceless americans and that kind of thing they're doing it for a business so when they look back and see that in previous windows, we've signed hugely expensive players, particularly Sacco. Um, I think the summer was just, you know, evening, evening things out. If you compare it to Brighton, compare it to Newcastle, they wouldn't go on such a, a large spending spree um, in one go. And I know people will say that's because it's Mike Ashley. Um, but, you know, we, we've spent enormous amounts of money in the past and these things come back to bite you in the arse and they're doing that now. Um, so I don't think it's particularly their fault. I think they possibly they bought Sacco on the back of, you know, fans going on about it for months and months, including myself. Um, and as a result, we ended up with a, you know, a net spend of, eight and a half million or whatever it was in the summer. And I don't think at the time anyone complained, you know, I thought we, we, we've brought in some decent players and it's, um, yeah. it's, it's not the recruitment particularly um, for that short period that's caused it. It's, it's 10, it's 11 transfer windows since we've been in the Premier League or whatever it is, you know, it's a cumulative effect. Um, and that's not going to be something that's going to be solved in January, which is legendarily a difficult period to sign anyone anyway. You know, there's, there's people asking, well, we, you know, what strike are we going to get? That might solve a minor issue, but it, it's not going to solve a lot. Um, 
So I'm not sure that we can do a lot. Um, and I, I can't blame the summer either. You know, no, no one on there was saying that we had a bad summer. We might have two weeks before the end, but by the time we'd signed Mayer, I think, you know, everyone was fairly optimistic. And after the Fulham game, everyone was fairly optimistic. Um, it's it's not about net spend. You know, it's, it's coming back to the issue um, that we've already raised that we're at a breaking point and unless um, you know everything's broken down and we start again and uh, we either try and route around and sort it out with the with the clientele we've currently got or we wait until players that people are going to be really annoyed that we lose go um, and that will free up the money I don't think there's any other way around it yeah there's been a sort of creeping number of people almost myself included I think I've said it a couple of times who've been saying um you know what? If if we get relegated, and uh, you know the best players we've got leave, and we have to rebuild, you know, well, I, I wouldn't be too bothered. Um, I think reality tells you that that's not the case. I think we all we're all devastated when we lose. Um, we all want to see the best players that we've got continue to play for Palace. And we want to see us us progress as a club. But you know, I think what I would say in all of that is that you can't approach it from a perspective of that there's a guaranteed way to succeed you know particularly for Crystal Palace as a, as a football club there's nothing wrong with having ambition and, and and wanting the best for your team but there's no guaranteed way that we can we can become an established Premier League club and never worry about relegation that's the aim that's the aim that we've got but that's the aim of, of 14 other clubs near enough in the Premier League you know? And every year, three of them don't succeed. And it's very tough not to be one of those three every time. So I think people need to give it that bit of context. But great questions, great contact this week. And um, I think we've we've gone on long enough. And um, I have to apologise for the fact that I, I I thought it was a good idea earlier to drink hard liquor while doing this show. But um, I think I've been a bit rambly. So perhaps it isn't. <laughs> so... Um, but it is delicious, Bushmills. Recommend it highly. See, we get some sponsorship from them as well as Dr Pepper. Yes, please, Bushmills. Oh, uh, we're based in SE25. Please get involved. <laughs> um, do you think Bushmills and Dr Pepper combined would be nice? Let's find out. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh, actually, I'm not because I'd have to walk to the shop because I'm so smashed, um, which is... Uh, going to be problematic last question though uh, just to touch on it Aaron McGeever got in touch and said what's the rumour of Mike Ashley being linked with the club I saw it myself it was uh, <laughs> suggestion that if he, he he's talked about um, he's talked about the fact that um, of, well that Newcastle are close to being sold to one of six different groups or something like that and there's a suggestion that he was offered uh, the chance to buy Palace for about 220 million quid um that just I'll just file that in the, the category of what I mentioned earlier. Be careful what you wish for. Um, parish out, Ashley in. Yeah. <laughs> that would be <Yeah>. brilliant. <laughs> no, no. Look, <laughs> all right, I understand that Parish has done some mistakes in terms of like running a club, but I still yeah, he's not that bad. He's not that bad to get Mike Ashley in. Oh no. Uh, right, let's just move on from this because I'm getting nightmares already. I'm gonna not sleep yeah. tonight. Dio's not a fan. Yeah. There you go. Just thought I'd address that. Um, I, I haven't heard anything specific, you know, that that is definitely the case. But that's the rumor that's going around. Um, 
doing doing the rounds, so to speak. All right, thank you very much to everybody for listening. Uh, thanks to my panel uh, and also to Mikey for producing. You can, you can subscribe. It's very difficult to speak when you've had this much whiskey. You can subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast apps so you don't miss a thing. Given that we do three shows a week, subscribing is, of course, the best way to ensure you don't miss a thing. Um, and we, I was also this week going to beg um, slightly. I think we need, uh, on, on whatever app you use to listen to our podcast and subscribe to our podcast, give us a, a lovely five-star rating. I don't care if you think we were five stars. Or not. That's not important. What is important that five-star ratings do help spread the word about the podcast to people who might not know that we exist. And it'd be great if you could spread the word in that way. So, so do it, <laughs> please. Do it. Or um, yeah. you drink Dr. Pepper if you don't. we're never going to get sponsorship from them are we so thanks to everybody who contacted the show today and there are many many ways um hang on i've i've started reading something that doesn't exist there are ways too many to use every comment i've written that terribly (laughs) basically we get loads of comments every week and we can't use them all but they do help us uh decide how the show will come together this is going really well so please engage (laughs) shut up everyone so please engage with us I can't read. Please engage with us on Facebook. I spelled please wrong, for God's sake. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Hard liquor, man. Oh, Don't do it, kids. Hashtag Hambo Jesus out. Jesus Christ. Check, out, check out, out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> um, and also visit backofthenest.com. That'll do. Uh, back in midweek. Love sport. Is it Tuesday this week, DR? Ow, ow. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Tuesday, yeah. Oh, I, should, oh. I, should, I should be there. Do you like oh, 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 you're con- oh, wow. You're not, you're, you're you're not, not having a little adventure this week, then. You're not going no, away. Don't have to go to Leeds this week. So, uh, well, it'll be, be so fun sport. talking about Paddis for another two hours. <laughs> too <laughs> hard, yeah. All right, also, Wait. preview show will be back. Uh, it should be out, I would imagine, either Wednesday night or Thursday night, depending on when they record it. And, of course, we'll be back Sunday to review the defeat against Leicester. I mean, the match against Leicester. Goodbye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.